Good morning, church. Uh, I hope all of you are doing well. My name is Ethan, and I am on staff here at H2O Church. Um, so this far in the Christmas season, we have been going through uh, different songs that we sing every year in our series, Songs of the Season. And so far, we've covered O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and O Come, All Ye Faithful. And I'm here today to hop on the trend of songs that start with O with one of my favorite Christmas songs, O Holy Night. So before we get started, I'm just going to pray for us real quick, and then we'll dive right in. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you so much for the way that you are um, constantly looking to comfort us and um, to make your relationship with us even deeper. Um, Your ultimate um, attempt at doing that and it succeeded was sending your son Jesus to live among us, um, to teach us your ways, what it looks like to live with you, um, to bring freedom from sin and oppression, and to show us uh, how gloryful you are. Lord, that you are worthy of praise. Um, And I hope that uh, you would guide me as I um, preach the word this morning and um, as I dig into this song that we all know so well. Um, I pray that you would continue to uh, just let your word be preached today and um, that you would soften the hearts and minds of those listening. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I'd like to start off with a quick history of the song, O Holy Night. So it was written in 1847 by a French poet named Placide Capot, who was inspired by Luke chapter 2, which is Luke's account of Jesus' birth. And uh, later he had his friend Adolphe Adams, who is actually a Jew, uh, compose music to his poem uh, to make it the song we know today. Um, Of course, it was in French at that time, um, but it was first performed uh, only two weeks after it was written and the music was composed um, at a Christmas Eve mass in France, and it grew immensely popular immediately and uh, spread to all over France. They sing it like all the time, and whenever uh, the Catholic Church discovered actually that it was written by a guy who ended up walking away from the church as well as a Jew who didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, they completely denounced it and it was no longer allowed to be sung in churches. Um, However, a decade later, it was translated into English by a guy named John Sullivan Dwight and it became one of our most beloved Christmas carols. Uh, And in Christmas Eve of 1906, uh, a man by the name of Reginald Fessenden, uh, a 33-year-old university professor and former chief chemist to Thomas Edison, uh, for the first time in history, spoke over radio. Uh, Never before had a human voice been heard over radio, and the first thing that he read over radio was Luke chapter 2, the account of Christ's birth. And afterwards, he picked up his violin and played O Holy Night. And when I learned that, I was just amazed. Like, our God was glorified by 
having the first thing being said over the airwaves honor him and talk about his son Jesus being uh, born into the world. And also it's just an amazing story of how God can use broken people to uh, make art or uh, music uh, to bring him glory uh, and to draw people to himself. Uh, he used a guy that walked away from the church and uh, became a socialist uh, and a Jew who didn't even believe in Jesus uh, to write and orchestrate this song that is so beautiful and is constantly reminding us every year of Jesus's birth and the truth of his gospel. Um, and so that's one of the major reasons why I fell in love with this song. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the lyrics to O Holy Night. Um, we're skipping over verse 2 just because it's less known, but uh, I'm going to start right here. So, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night divine, O night, O night divine. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, Sweet, uh, and in his name all oppressions shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we, let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, O oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim, his power and glory evermore proclaim. All right, so... <laughs> You were probably singing that in your head as I was reading it. It's really hard for me because I'm a singer. Um, so two of the main themes that we're going to be looking at today that I saw in O Holy Night are freedom and God's glory. Um, and so the passage that I decided to dive into today is not actually Luke 2, which the song is based off of, um, but uh, Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. So, um, I love this passage because I actually grew up um, reciting it every year in uh, my church's living nativity, uh, dressed up as a prophet. Um, so, if you like, you can imagine me with like a beard and like wearing <laughs> like prophet clothes while I read this. Uh, just, you know, immerse yourself a little bit. Um, and for a little bit of context, uh, Grant preached uh, two weeks ago on Isaiah 7, uh, and he kind of explained how Judah and Israel had split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and how Israel is really afraid of an Assyrian invasion. Assyria was kind of the powerhouse of the time. They uh, were huge, and they had a very strong military, and so Israel was like, ah, I'm afraid that we're going to get conquered. And so they were like, hey, we should team up with Syria, and then together we'll be powerful enough to defend ourselves. Um, and Judah was like, no, no thanks. Um, and they were actually afraid that Israel and Syria would invade Judah 
so that the three of them would be strong enough to defend against Assyria. However, um, they chose to not uh, do that, <laughs> and uh, they decided instead to stay out of that whole situation. And so uh, Isaiah 9 is actually Isaiah addressing the uh, kingdom of Israel in the north. And he, it's a message of hope to them uh, because of all of the hurt and uh, decimation that is to come when they are invaded by the Assyrians. So I'm going to pick up uh, here in verse 1 of chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Alrighty, so first we're going to focus on this theme of freedom that we see uh, in the first couple of verses. So I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2 where God promises freedom from oppression uh, to his people. Uh, so it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, in, but in the future... He will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So uh, the gloom that he's actually talking about in uh, the first part of this verse is a reference to chapter 8, verses 22, um, where it says, Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's kind of intimidating honestly if you if you hear that and you're like well that doesn't sound good um and this is referring to the way that israel will be completely decimated by the assyrian invasion their identity will be shattered um, and honestly there's not like much hold for them um However, uh, that's what makes this first verse of chapter 9 even more precious. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The northern regions of the Promised Land, around the Sea of Galilee, or as it's referenced here, Galilee of the Nations, were most severely ravaged when the Assyrians 
invaded from the north. This promise is that this land, uh, once seemingly humbled by the Lord from being invaded, will one day have a special blessing. And so if you look at this, it's actually kind of a microcosm of the state of humanity up until this point. O Holy Night uh, has a verse where we say, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Well, when I hear that, I think of how the Israelites have constantly drifted away from God. They have a long history of oppression, and it would only get worse from that point. Ultimately, we know that sin is the problem here, that these are people who are in need of a savior. Uh, They're in need of divine intervention. There's nothing they can do to get themselves out of this situation. Um, And we know uh, from Jesus, uh, our souls feel their worth when we live in the freedom that Jesus brings. Um, So, moving on to the next part, uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So in O Holy Night, we sing a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for Yana breaks a new and glorious morn. Since the fall of mankind, uh, beginning with Adam and Eve, actually, uh, the Jewish people have been awaiting their Messiah. As I said before, they've experienced slavery, famine, war. They've spent years and years wandering the desert looking for the promised land, and they've endured generations of anxiety and uncertainty as they've watched, waited, and wondered when would their king arrive? Uh, When would redemption come? And when would they at long last see this redemption that uh, an end to the suffering that they've been facing? When would they see a light at the end of this long, dark, and weary tunnel? So on the night of our dear Savior's birth, he brought with him, as O Holy Night says, a thrill of hope. The trials that we face today are real. The suffering that we experience today is real, but the hope found in Jesus is even more real. Uh, And unlike the things of this world, this hope is eternal. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Uh, do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We know that the sorrow and tribulations of this world will one day pass away and that in their place will be an eternity spent with our Lord. Isn't that an awesome truth? (laughs) So now we're going to move on to verses 3 through 5. In this passage, uh, we kind of learn about the joy Uh, that they will receive in the Messiah's deliverance and victory. I'll just read it real quick. Uh, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will fuel the fire. 
So that was kind of a lot there. So we're just going to unpack it here. Um, starting with verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Uh, in this verse, we see that the Messiah would bring joy and gladness to Israel. Jesus actually says that his ministry will be like a wedding party. Uh, if you've ever been to a wedding, they're pretty fun. Um, and they're filled with joy. Uh, and that's what Jesus wants us to you know, see from his ministry is that he brings joy. Um, it also says that they will rejoice as people rejoice at the harvest. Uh, when you rejoice at the harvest, you're rejoicing because all of your hard work has paid off. You get to reap the benefits of your year of work. Um, and so it is a time where you get to look back and give thanks for that. Um, and then they, it also says that they will rejoice as warriors when dividing their plunder. Obviously, if the warriors are dividing plunder, that means that they have won. Um, and here, uh, it's a celebration of victory when you get to count up what you have gained. Um, and it's kind of similar to like a Super Bowl team like celebrating after they've won. Uh, it's a very joyous occasion uh, and everyone uh, is excited about it. So we're, we continue to see this theme in verse 4 where it references Midian's defeat. So this is actually a reference to Judges 7 where Gideon uh, triumphs over Midian. And this is not just any victory. This victory is wonderfully complete. It's joyous and the Lord is glorified ultimately from it. Um, and the reference to every warrior's boot and garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire is a reiteration of that. Uh, in that time, this was a practice uh, to burn the, your sandals and the bloody rags after a battle uh, to signify that it is over and it is done um, and to kind of cleanse that area. Um, and Jesus offers this same ultimate victory over sin and death, which is so awesome and honestly just wants me to <laughs> makes me want to worship him so uh it continues on with even more promises uh starting with uh the messiah will break the yoke of the burdens upon them and he will break the rod of his oppressor um this is another iteration of Jesus bringing complete victory over all of his enemies. Um, and in O Holy Night we sing, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. This is a glorious truth, that Jesus breaks every chain, that he has freed us from our uh, addictions, he's broken the chains um, of our past, and uh, chains of depression and anxiety, and he has freed us from slavery to sin uh, and adopted us into his family. So he's not only done away with all of our dirtiness, he's made us white as snow, but he has also lifted us up um, and given us an inheritance. Uh, and that is something to praise God for. 
and also like uh, it's a good reminder to me whenever I have faced uh, depression or anxiety or uh, fear that I will never be able to get over sin struggles in my life. Uh, I am able to look at what Jesus has already done for me, that he sacrificed himself for me while I was yet a sinner. Um, and that is so awesome. Uh, and I'm also reminded that uh, when was Jesus ever worried or afraid? He wasn't. When does Jesus groan under the yoke of burdens on him. He doesn't. When does Jesus ever feel the sting of the rod of his oppressor? He doesn't. Jesus's victory is complete always. The risen, glorified, and ascended Jesus experienced none of these things, and he has raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places with him. That's Ephesians 2.6. And as we are in Christ Jesus, we share his victory. Romans 8.37 says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That was a lot, but I'm excited to dive into the next theme, God's glory. So, we're going to be reading in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called a wonderful counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Starting with that first part there, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So Isaiah is using a classic uh, Hebrew literary tool here, repetition, uh, to show that this is important. Um, this is showing us that God is coming into the world, not as an angel, not as uh, God, just without flesh, he is coming as a man. And uh, this is really good news for us because if Jesus, if the Messiah was not a man, he wouldn't have qualified to be our savior and our high priest. Um, the child had to be born. There's, and uh, this is also a really uh, interesting mystery. Like, why would God choose to come into the world as a baby? Isn't that, like, kind of low? Isn't that uh, not powerful? Uh, and you might ask those questions. But um, for Jesus to come into the world as a baby, as a human, and in a very lowly position even is to display humility um, as part of God's character and also so that he could relate to us in our um, position and humanity uh, and he made uh, Philippians 2 7 says he made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men uh, and ultimately, this is so encouraging because we know that Jesus has gone through a human life. He can understand our weaknesses. He can empathize with us. Hebrews talks about we have a high priest who can empathize with our weakness. Uh, and <laughs> we have such an awesome Savior, guys. Like, I cannot say it enough. 
So next we'll move on to uh, the part where it says, and the government will be on his shoulders. So ultimately, this will be fulfilled in the millennium. Uh, the prophecies of uh, Revelation and uh, Jesus will reign for a thousand years here on this earth. Um, and while that is a very important part of his ministry and his reign, uh, it doesn't end there. Uh, he will rule into eternity as our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, and I think it's especially uh, prevalent that uh, even today, this verse and this topic is very uh, applicable um, with our current you know, election and the changing of leadership. And I think it's actually very comforting to know that God is ultimately in control. Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities have existed and been established by God. Ultimately, all of our earthly leaders will fall short. This means that we should pray for our leaders often. Next, we will see different titles that would be given to the Messiah. They aren't actual names that he'll be called, but rather um, titles that point to different aspects of his character. Uh, so first we see him called uh, Wonderful. Our Messiah is Wonderful. Um, and honestly, our God, our Savior Jesus, should do nothing less than fill us with wonder. Um, we can never really look at Jesus and know him and be bored. Uh, he is ultimately wonderful and will fill our heart and minds with amazement. Secondly, we see Messiah. the Messiah is our counselor. Jesus is the one and only being fit to guide our lives. And as Christ followers, we should be using our immediate resource as Jesus, as a counselor. Jesus can help you with your problems. I will repeat that. Jesus can help you with your problems. You are not alone. Prayer is an awesome tool that we have been given, uh, and God loves it when we pray to him and ask him to give us counsel. Um, there's a quote from... A preacher named Charles Spurgeon, and he said, Christ is the counselor whom I desire to consult every hour, and I would that I could sit in his chamber, uh, secret chamber, all day and all night, because to counsel with him is to have sweet counsel, hearty counsel, and wise counsel all the time. Next, we see that the Messiah is mighty God, the God of creation and glory, the Lord of the heavens, the one who is worthy of our worship and praise. In Isaiah 10, verse 21, he says, uh, the remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. And here he's actually referring to Yahweh. Um, and by this, we know that he is saying the Messiah is God. He is mighty God, um, and it's pointing to that Jesus is, in fact, God. He is part of the Godhead. Um, next, we see that uh, the Messiah is everlasting Father. And you might initially think, wait, 
Jesus is the Father? What? <laughs> That's not the case here. Um, Isaiah is actually um, pointing to the fact that Jesus is the source or author of all eternity, that he is the creator himself. And it does not mean that Jesus himself is the person of the Father in the Trinity. And lastly, we see that the Messiah is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who makes peace, especially between God and man. Um, that is quite the, the list of titles there. Uh, next, we're going to move to verse 7, uh, where we talk about the glory of the Messiah's reign. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Like we saw earlier, the reign of the Messiah will not merely last a thousand years, though the millennium is important. Um, there will be no end to his reign. Uh, and he will reign on the throne of David. Uh, this is actually a fulfillment of a promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel ver or chapter 7. Um, and we also knew from other prophecies that the Messiah would come from the house of David. Next, we see that... Um, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Yeah, a lot of this prophecy almost seems too good to be true, especially to the Israelites at that time. They would have thought, this sounds great. Like, where is this guy? Like, is he going to come and, like, defeat Assyria? Like, is he going to deliver us from all of these oppressors? Like, we need this military leader. Uh, and how is that going to happen? Um, but this is the Lord saying, hey, this is a promise. Uh, this Messiah will come. He will deliver you and he will free you from the rod of your oppressor, uh, the yoke that's on your back. He will shatter that. Um, and we actually see in uh, O uh, Holy Night, uh, this promise of the kingdom and uh, glorifying the Messiah, uh, just the writer honestly wrote the song in a way that just gives God glory. He says, fall on your knees, oh hear the angel voices, and sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, oh praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim his power and glory evermore proclaim. And this is just a testament to the God that we serve, who is worthy to be praised. Uh, and I would like to uh, invite the worship team to come back up uh, and uh, we'll join together in uh, praising God. Uh, and I'll just pray over us real quick. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for saving us for sending your son Jesus to uh, deliver us from 
the chains of sin, of addiction and uh, depression, anxiety, uh, anything that um, would keep us from a relationship with you. And uh, we thank you for the fact that you are holy uh, and you are good. Um, and I pray that you would uh, reveal yourself to us, that you would humble us and um, draw us near to you as we worship you uh, singing, O Holy Night. In Jesus' name, amen.